Happy holidays, everybody. It's James. Just letting you know that what you are about to hear is not a new episode. If you missed last Friday, uh, we are taking December off like we always do to recharge the batteries and uh, come up with new stuff for the upcoming year. So what we have for you is the best of 2022. Every Friday and Tuesday, there will be an episode for you. So settle in and enjoy my first pick. Best opening scenes in movies. Art, comedy, pop culture, and much more. You're listening to ACPN. Okay, here we go. Something, something. Hey, everybody. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob. And it is time for another first episode of the month episode of the Something Something Cast. Something Something Cast. It is June. It is too hot. I'm already done with the fucking summer. It is so fucking hot. And you're a skinny dude, too. Like, you shouldn't even be complaining. Uh, I'm not a summer boy. I was made for cold weather. I was made for thermal shirts and sweatshirts and putting on an extra layer. I can't stand sweating. You just sticky and grow like. Eh. It's the t- kind of temperature where you ask somebody what you know. What's your favorite feeling? And they're like sticky ball sack, and you're like, ah, oh, you must be a summer kid. It's just nasty. I hate it. I will never be the type in the winter that goes, it's too cold. Ever. Because I mean, you can always just put, put on another layer. I have been too cold in the winter, but because I was ill-prepared at the time. I mean, but, I've been but, too cold. But, but normally, yes, I am, I am all about the cold. I, I, I joke... That when uh, me and Fact Check Manny go and visit friends and go out and about on our, you know, travels, uh, when we end up sharing a hotel room together, I say, you get the bed furthest from the air conditioner. You can have my extra blanket because I'm going to turn the air conditioner on so Hmm. cold that the penguins who are hiding in our room are going to light the desk on fire to stay warm. Like, that's how cold I'm going to make the room. And then I'll just put blankets on when I go to sleep, I set my air conditioner for 60 degrees, and then I pull my comforter on, and I have a smart thermometer, a smart thermostat, so at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, it kicks it up to 64 degrees, just to take the edge off. So right, I just to get out of bed and wake up at 6.30. Just to melt the icicle off the corners of the room. Exactly. None of that has anything to do with what today's topic is. No, it never does. Never, it never will. It's we're almost nine years into this podcast, people. If you haven't figured that out yet, welcome. Yeah, because, how, that, because you're what? clearly new. 
uh, a, a one minor quick, and then we'll go. I was listening to a podcast, and uh, they got to 25 minutes. And Clearly not like, ours, because you never mm. listen to ours. Why would I? Um, I know what I'm going to say. I already have 50% of the knowledge. Oh, and I remember the things you say, too. So, um, anyway, he gets to the minute 25, and he goes, all right, we're going to cut out, because, you know, podcast shouldn't be longer than 25 minutes, and I cackled. Oh, my God. 25 minutes, we haven't even what? hit what the topic of our show is yet. Seriously, we've been doing this for two hours now. What are we talking about today, Rob? We are discussing our favorite opening scenes. Notice I didn't say best. Notice I didn't Indeed. say, you know, top according to Hoyle, most scientifically notated point scoring opening scenes. No, no, no. These are our favorite opening scenes. Uh, and we left it open. Yeah. Uh, so we can include both uh, movies and TV. I, uh, we have six each. I have, I happen to have three and three. Um, As do I. I. There we go. See? It's almost like we talked about this before we recorded it, Mike. It's amazing. Uh, nine fucking years. <laughs> Next month is our nine-year extravaganza. It's true. What we're doing, we have no idea. because we Extravaganza don't eleganza. We don't think that far ahead. We literally came up with the topic for this episode yesterday. So, yeah. yeah. So there is that. We're a, we're a very fly-by-the-seat-of-our-pants kind of kind of podcast. But that here we said, are. And here said, you are. We we did figure out every other topic for the month. So it was it was just so happened that like the, the reason true. we this had was that was the meeting. last one that we had to, <laughs> to hash. The reason out. we had that meeting was because oh shit, we need something for next week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we but have we everything so else and, and 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 we have a certain order that we do things in. Yeah. And it's still not easy for us to do a like big old anniversary episode out in the universe thing because we're still sort of <clears throat> hermitized even though the rest of the world isn't. <clears throat> but yes, this is opening scenes from shows and movies. Um, I am not sure whether you went with opening scenes of TV the same way I did. I went, like, every one of mine on TV side are actual pilot episodes, like the legit opening scene first uh, so mine are too. I hadn't planned it to be that way, but yeah. it it worked out that way. Good. It felt more natural to do it that way because like it would be a whole other episode topic put it in the notes for like best opening of a TV show any episode any season like these are the beginnings of any episode of a television show that blew my mind. But well, and I mean even though we could have gone that route on this list and it would have been fine, I think the at least I know for me, the episodes that I chose, uh, it was the reason why I ended up watching the rest of the show. So they had True. way more impact and gravitas to them than other episodes that may have been good. Uh, they may have been just as solid, but these were the ones that hooked me. So, And I'm sure we'll get into top... Uh, to, well, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, because it might spoil one of the ones that you have somewhere along the line, so let's just... Get straight to it. Uh, would you like to start us off? Uh, sure, I'll start us off. Would you like me to start with TV or movie? Ooh, the thick plottins. Um, go Ew. with a movie. Okay. <clears throat> so, and this one is probably on your list. Okay. Um, I would probably be surprised if it wasn't. 
Um, we have uh, recently gotten into uh, a very similar game, um, V Rising. Very, very vampire themed. Very. Use them. Uh, it's kind of like Valheim for those of you who played the Viking game, but play, uh, Valheim with vampires. Right. Um, I have recently also gotten into Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt, uh, which is like Vampire Fortnite. Um, a lot of vampire themed stuff going on recently. So, I would be remiss if I did not mention the Blood Rave in the opening scene of Blade. That's a great one. It is not on my list, but it's a great one. Oh, I'm very surprised. So, like, it was cool enough that you're thinking, hey, cool, vampires. They're, you know, they they mingle amongst the normal human populace. Uh, It wouldn't be surprising that they would be in some sort of nightclub mingling around with the rest of them until the sprinkler systems go off and it's just blood and you're like, oh, oh, these are, these are all vampires, aren't they? There's a Is lot, there... there's a lot of them, aren't there? But, there's uh, so much goodness in that opening yeah, yeah, sequence. Yeah, such an amazing scene and it really set the tone for the rest of the movie and how it was going to be presented. And the soundtrack, um, like the, it might be one of the first times I remember seeing a choreographed fight sequence where the fight and the music were not, were not perfectly like music video on the beat, but they were very much thought of to do together. It was cut with the music in mind. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's gorgeous. Um, I almost, on the vampire kick, I almost put Dusk Till Dawn, but I couldn't remember um, where the credits sort of begin because that opening sequence in the general store is fantastic. Oh. Blades up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Everybody be cool. You be cool. Blades up. Fantastic example. Or starter. Um, I'm going to get my... I'm 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 gonna get my sad one out of the way because there's one that like I I hemmed and hawed about whether I want to put it on because we do a fun show and we we like big but I cannot lie oh never mind go yeah, ahead I mean not a lie um so but this was there was two movies that sprung to head when I was thinking of movies that were like oh and this has to be on here and there was two and I'll get to one shortly okay but. The this one is up the Pixar film. Okay. Um, one of the only times in my life I can recall being in a movie theater with, and I was probably with five six friends taking up like half a row of the movie because we all would go see Pixar movies. Sure. And at the end of the opening sequence of Up, you turned your head and boy and girl alike, all of us are sitting going. <laughs> Okay, I hope the rest of the movie isn't like this. Because, uh, have you seen Up? I mean, I I'm sure not. you've at least heard of the opening oh, sequence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is what it is. But it breaks down such a, a, a whole relationship of him and his wife and how much fun they had and how adventurous they were and how much joy there was. And then... Just, it goes downhill. And when you later see um, Carl 
as an older man, you understand why he's now a curmudgeon, but you also, it builds his character perfectly, so you know who he is, why he is, what makes him a big grumpy puss, um, but why, in his heart, he still is up for this adventure throughout the movie. But yeah, that opening sequence is one of the most beautiful five, ten minutes um, of CGI and storytelling that I that I think I've seen. I'd say ever. Wally's pretty good too, um, and Wally's my favorite Pixar film. But up, it's it it invokes emotion in a way that like I'll never forget that moment of just like looking and like everybody in the movie theater just. <laughs> Whole room. Not a dry eye. There. So, I wanted to get the dark out of the way so we can get to the fun. Okay. Your turn. Uh, I will uh, continue with the dark then. Oh, good. I'm going to slide over into TV shows. Yeah, I forget uh, what you're going to do. Now, this show kind of ended up going off the rails because of things that had happened with the principal actor involved. However, that being said, the opening scene, it perfectly defines the lane that this show is going to travel in for pretty much 95% of the run. And you know exactly the type of person the main character is because of the opening monologue. And the fact that this is a TV show where the main character would occasionally look directly at the audience and speak to them uh, made all of those monologues even more powerful. Oh, Uh, yes. I am speaking of the opening scene of House of Cards. Um... When he is, you hear, basically it's a still camera down the sidewalk, and you hear a car crash and a dog whimper, and you see him come running out of his house, and he realizes that it's his neighbor's dog, and he's like, oh my god, go and get the neighbor, this is so terrible, and he he almost looks like he has emotion, and then he just looks at the camera, and talks to you about that there's two types of pain, the pain that makes you strong, or useless pain. And I have no patience for useless things. And just snaps the dog's neck off camera. (laughs) Clearly because he doesn't want the dog to suffer. But it's just like, yeah, but you're just like, okay, this is the type of dude. Like, there wasn't any attempt to help the dog or anything like that. Or even, I mean, he's not a vet, you know? It was just Hmm. like, oh my god, oh, this dog that... Oh, so this is the type of person Frank Underwood is. Yes, this is exactly the type of person that Frank Underwood is. And you will see that with not just animals, but people as the the seasons go on. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I... When I was looking online, I saw a bunch of people mention it. went, oh my god, totally forgot about the dog and the street. The minute somebody said House of Cards, I remembered exactly what that sequence is. And, um... I, I find it House of Cards is one of those shows that I now kind of find it hard to watch, but when that show started, that opening sequence is so brilliantly brutal to tell us who he is and the callousness of Frank Underwood. So good. Now, did you ever see the original British House of Cards? I did not. Terrible. 
I Thanks think, for warning me. I think it was only three episodes. Because, you know, like, the British thing is... It's three episodes, but each episode's like an hour and 45 minutes long kind of thing. Right. But it's it's uh, basically the the House of Commons people. It's still called House of Cards. But it's, you know, their, their whole British Parliament thing. And it's... I think it's like 1800s or maybe early 1900s because they've all got the the wigs and everything. But I mean, it's, I, it's, all, it's, okay. all, it's all very, it's all very <laughs> like I probably got like 45 minutes through the first one, and I'm like, the fuck am I watching? Like this is this. <laughs> you can see where the parallels were and where they took the uh imagery and the story points and brought them into the American version. But like this was not like watching Three's Company and then watching Robin's Nest and going, oh it's the same thing but without the accents. No, right. this was like I I can't even describe the, the horror show that this was to try to sit through. That's I didn't realize it was a period piece. I thought it was just, you know, similar to most British to America transfers was um I again, I assumed it was Parliament or whatever the House of Commons or British equivalent was, but I didn't realize it was a time frame difference thingy. Well, I'm trying to look it up real quick. House of because they also British wear the wigs. I think they wore they wear the wigs even maybe not now, but they did okay, for a very so long time. Okay, so I'm completely off base. It was well, it it was in 1990, uh, uh, in four episodes, <laughs> but it was set at the end of Margaret Thatcher's. Tenure as prime minister, so it was right around 1990. It didn't feel like it was 1990 whatsoever. It was horrible. You're the kind of person who hears a British accent and thinks everything's medieval. <laughs> well, dude, but we've gone through this before when we did our yeah, Tim no. Burton episode and we were trying to figure out what, <laughs> what movies came in what year. And I'm like, oh, that was like that was 82, wasn't it? And you're like, dude, it was 2012. And I'm like, what? Right. I'm terrible when it comes to that stuff. Because my brain thinks of it as when I saw it and not when it actually originally came out. He speaks with a British accent. This must be the 1400s. This must be Downton Abbey. We're watching Star Trek. Jumping to television on my side. Um, This is one that was a show. Before it started, I knew I would enjoy it. I had a bunch of people say, have you seen it yet? And I hadn't. And then this opening sequence just sort of nails down um, whether A, you're going to like the show or not, and B, the mindset of it. It features, and I don't think you've seen this show, so uh, features a gentleman with sort of a weird uh, inflection to his voice talk about how the system is oppressing everyone and we're all slaves to the machine kind of stuff. Um, but then he walks into a coffee shop, sits down, and just starts telling this guy things. Like, your name's Ron, and you own Ron's coffee shop. I like this coffee shop because your internet connection is really good. And then he starts to techno out at him. And you're like, what is this guy doing? Until you realize that He's talking to someone he hacked because they were uh, distributing child pornography. And, like, the only reason he's still talking to them is because the police are about to show up and he just wants them to see him. Gotcha. Um, It's Mr. Robot. And 
it stays it's welcome just as long as it needs it doesn't go too far it's got a couple great twists if you've never seen it but that opening sequence just gives you Rami Malek's portrayal perfectly encapsulated um, he similarly to Underwood will talk to the camera at times it is used similarly in later seasons other people will eventually look at the camera and say something just to sort of at you but it is phenomenal television and that first opening sequence does a great job at letting you know that like he's a good guy but he's not a good guy that cares about how he did good things and also this show is very techno babble because they go into like I saw that you downloaded the tour and you used the onion browser to hide and your VPN set you to and da 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 with, with your techno babbly babble um which is throughout the series, but it's so good. Mr. Now, Robot was excellent. Now, you being far more of a techno guy than I am, does the techno babble make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, they, I mean, do they lean into a couple things where like, wait, that that's a whole lot more complex than you just said it. But, all right, you said it for the audience. Um, but they definitely don't hide you from the fact that like this is technological stuff what but they're, they're doing not they're is... not throwing around words like vpm and dingle hopper and stuff and just no. making complex sentences because they're assuming 80 percent of their audience is just gonna nod and go oh okay you use the dingle hopper and the right okay. no not at all they gotcha. they're not like reversing the polarity just to under gotcha. trump the troubled frump yeah see yeah exactly see you're with me you're with oh me. i understand this is why we do a show together Nine years. What? Because nobody else would put up with me for this long. I mean, uh, we are. We're in good we're, company then. We're back to movies. Sure um, are. Which one do I go with? Which one do I? Go I don't know. Okay, so I'm gonna go with. Mm. Okay, so this one has probably one of my most favorite actors in this opening sequence. It is All a right. very long opening sequence, and I want to say it is probably 18 minutes of opening sequence. Yeah, where, I got a little, I got one like that. Where nothing is spoken in English. But it sets up the rest of the movie. It sets up a major plot point for the rest of the movie. And it sets up the character for how ruthless he is for the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah. Talking about the opening sequence of Inglorious Bastards. Fantastic movie. Like, for the longest time, back when I had Netflix, when that was on Netflix, that became my, oh, it's 11.30, I'm going to go to sleep, I'm going to put this on and let it play, and I'm just going to watch it again until I fall asleep. Um, just such a great opening scene. The fact that Christoph Waltz is as amazing as he is, and so the whole great. thing that he goes through with Lapidite and the, the the family under the floorboards and the whole nine <laughs> yards and and ending it with the whole au revoir, Shoshana. Such a great scene that sets up the entire rest of the movie so well. 
I almost put down for honorable mentions, which I, I sort of did away with because I knew we'd probably bandy about other things. I almost just put down Quentin Tarantino for just honorable mentions because I don't think any of his movies have a bad opener. Um, between, I would say, Inglorious Bastards and Reservoir Dogs have the best ones. But, yeah, that, that Inglorious Bastards scene is so tense. Especially not knowing what you're going to be walking into with a movie called The Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino. And it's a period piece. But every moment he's pouring the milk for him. Yeah, it's so good. So effing good. A brilliant choice. And for a movie that turns out to have as much action in it as it does, for that first 20 minutes to be two guys sitting at a table, conversational. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a nice... I'll say palate cleanser, but it, like, there's nothing to cleanse your palate for. It just... Right. It, it sets it up interestingly because the conversation that's being had is so diabolical... But mm-hmm. it's being done so friendly and conversationally. You're just like, this is horrible. <laughs> they're just like, he's just talking about this. Like he's talking about the weather. Oh my God. And they're talking about all oh, the, the best kinds of milk. And all the while we know he's listening for something beneath the ground where every once in a while we're getting the flash to them beneath the floorboards. Oh, it's all just, it makes me want to go rewatch it. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. No, Absolutely. Um, which will bring me to my next one, which in fact is also very similarly long, um, probably about 18, 20 minutes. That is so good. I rewatched the movie today. Um, it's one of my favorite movies to begin with. It's so excellent of an opener, especially when you balance it against the end. Um, it features Jack Nicholson telling you about how just scumfuck Boston is. And all the while, we get to see him introduce the life to Matt Damon. And on the other side, we see who should be sort of a thug in a Leonardo DiCaprio become the, the straight lace button-up cop. Um... Right in that first 20 minutes of that whole sequence, it gives you an amazing sense of who your characters are, the world we're living in, and who the main players are versus each other. Like, oh, this guy's supposed to be the good guy, but he's the bad guy. This is the bad guy, and he's supposed to be the good guy, or however you want to put it. Um, It is The Departed. All of this under Gimme... Starts with Gimme Shelter as... The opening, it's a Scorsese film, of course. Sure. Stones are in it. But by the end of the credits, when they finally say Depart- The Departed, 20 minutes in, uh, it's Dropkick Murphys. So it's very much a, yeah, Scorsese is showing you the Scorsese we know in old Rolling Stones, old classic rock. But this is a modern movie in a mo- more modern mob-filled Boston. So we're giving you a modern song in The Murphys. So good. It sets a pace that's so perfect for that movie, and it doesn't let up the whole thing. But yeah, I 
I think I saw it last year. I don't watch, I don't rewatch movies a lot anymore. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just gonna sit here and watch the whole thing while I work because that's two and a half hours well spent. There you go. I fucking love that movie. Who the fuck do you think you are? I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. Sounds oh, like Mark. sounds like us. That's I mean, kind of true. <clears throat> uh, go so fuck, go fuck yourself. I'm tired. Too tired. I was fucking your wife last night. How's your fucking mother? Tired from fucking my dad. Go ahead. Uh, so we are going back to TV news. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna go with this one. Um, it was the opening scene of the TV show, but it was not the opening scene that was aired. Oh. I already know where you're walking. Yeah, yeah. It's, and you look so you. Pa- and you look so pained by it. Um, I, no, that was me rubbing my eyes, but also like, ah, yes, that one. Uh, so it, to watch them in the original order they were intended in, you have to go through the DVDs because the broadcast channel said, well, nobody's going to understand this. And that was kind of the point. Um, the opening scene, Firefly, Battle of Serenity Valley, was amazing. Because they threw you in without giving you any background on what the hell was going on. On who the good guys were, who the bad guys were. You kind of had to figure it out as you went. And the great thing, in my opinion, about that whole opening scene was that by the time you figure out who the good guys are, you're like, oh, okay, cool, these are the good guys. What do you mean they lost? Like, it, it puts you on a, on a weird tilt right off the bat. But because you get thrown into the middle of the chaos, which is what they wanted and how they wanted you to feel for that first episode, we all know the powers that be at Fox were like, but nobody's going to understand. We need to come up with another uh, another episode instead, and we're going to use that as the first one. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but such a great opening scene. And it definitely... Like, you learn everything you need to about the characters and the archetypes of who you meet in that first opening sequence. And between the opening song, the, the, see the fight sequence, the, the meeting, the characters, you understand if you're a science fiction fan, you understand what that show is, even though you don't understand the, the pieces of this show. Like, the song is country western, the the ship's cobbled together. Like, all of these bits and pieces, like, it all fits together very nicely. Oh, but the opening sequence is the opening war, too. So, I don't, I will not lie, I do not remember what the first time you sort of pick up and pick apart, like, what's going on in the ship. Is it after the credits roll? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because the opening scene, like, they're already in the thick of it in the right. in Serenity Valley, and they're waiting for the reinforcements, and then they get the radio that the reinforcements aren't coming because they've surrendered. They're in the shit, if you follow a war movie logic. Fun Easter egg. Ooh. There's a scene where Mal grabs one of the uh, turret-mounted uh, anti-aircraft guns, and it's got a big, like, display screen on it. And in the bottom is the Wayland yutani logo. That is 
neat. I would like to believe, a, and all of that happening inside of a uh, autistic child snow globe. <laughs> Waylon, you I they get everywhere. They do. Yeah. Well, since we're dancing in the sci-fi universe, I'm gonna go with uh, my sci-fi one. Okay. And this, what I like about this pilot episode and this opening sequence is it's not just an opening sequence um, once. It is referenced and re-referenced and redone and the opening credit sequence changes depending on certain things going on later in seasons. It's just brilliant. And there's a major plot point uh, of the series that has an Easter egg in this very first pilot few minutes. And you go back and we're talking like two seasons later and you go back and you go, there, there's a shadow there. It must, how did, they had this whole thing plotted that far in advance for a show like this? I am talking about Futurama. The first episode, the first opening sequence where Fry uh, is delivering a pizza to the cryogenic lab and he gets caught in the cryo freeze. Um, he wakes up and he's in the future. Is so much fun and so silly. But what makes it so much more brilliant is later you find out in a end of season one, end of season two finale um, that Fry was meant to be sent to the future. There was a whole plot involved with uh, Nibbler, who is his pet, but he doesn't become his pet until like season two. But they show you a flashback and you see Nibbler's shadow watching as Fry gets frozen. Well, if you go and watch the actual original pilot when it originally aired, the shadow's there. So, like, this character that doesn't appear for a while finally appears in a season. They drew his shadow in in the very first episode, knowing that this was going to... A year, two years later. So cool. Um, I love Futurama. And their opening sequence changes as things go. It, it, there's an entire... Sequence of... While he's in cryo-freezing frozenness, you see... Um, he's frozen, the world goes through war, the world is decimated, civilization rises back up, civilization's destroyed again, it rises up one more time, and now he's here. And, like, each one of those beats has a plot in the season, so they really, it's well thought out, and, um, it's probably the best series Matt Groening did. I'm enjoying Disenchanted, fam is watching it now, but Futurama is, it's one of my go-to late, and I can't think of anything else to watch, let me just throw in something. For a okay. reason. Did you do the Futurama? It is not one. It is not something that I had gotten into. No. Okay. It's a show to watch for the background jokes because they're really good. All right. And I mean, it's on my list of things to eventually work my way through. That list is very long. Yeah, yeah. Um, it this won't push it up your list. But it makes me happy. They had a mathematician on staff, so when they did science, it at least was close to true. Okay. I mean, um, to me, that's kind of important. 
when, like we were talking about before, it's when, when they start throwing out scientific MacGuffins and, and you know, as somebody in chat just said, the Ronson Turbo Encabulator. It's just like, <laughs> you're, you're making shit up. Yeah. You know, I know I know very little when it comes to super science techie things, but I know enough when somebody is making some bullshit up. And I, I, and I like when they when they try to keep things at least some semblance of potentially real. And I think that's that's extra special for a show that's very clearly sci-fi nerd oriented like Futurama that they they knew who their audience was and they knew that there was going to be some futurist physicist somebody who is going to look at the math on the chalkboard and go does that actually work and like it doesn't just work if you solve the thing that's on uh professor farnsworth's board it's actually a punch there's a punchline in there but you have to you have to know like hardcore physics and calculus to like figure out that it actually says you know chicken cross the road or some silliness but or r2d2 or whatever um but please to you with a, uh, your final movie, I believe. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, so, this opening sequence is very interesting because it's an opening sequence and an ending sequence, and yet both of those are in the middle. <laughs> ah, clear. Concise. <laughs> uh... I'm not even sure how else to to uh, pose it without just going right into it. Uh, the opening diner sequence from Pulp Fiction. I know we were talking ah. about Quentin Tarantino opening scenes. Uh, this definitely needs to be in the conversation of Inglorious Bastards yes. and Reservoir Dogs. Uh, the fact that they're just hanging out, having their breakfast, you know, chilling out, pumpkin and honey bunny, the two lovebirds, and then shit goes sideways super quick. Uh, and that they come back to it at the end with, you know, the, the, the fantastic, well, my wall is the one that says bad motherfucker on it. Um, countless Star Wars memes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with Mace Windu from that. But, uh, so I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs until after I saw Pulp Fiction. Um, and I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater. And there were a, a number of other people who clearly hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs uh, in the movie watching Pulp Fiction because we were a little, I don't want to say confused, but for people who had seen Reservoir Dogs, it was easier for them to follow along with the way Quentin Tarantino tells stories. Sure, kind disjointed of, Kind way. of jumping around in time frame, stuff like that. Um, but yeah. Opening scene, Pulp Fiction. Everybody be cool. This is a robbery. It's cool. It's it's super cool, especially because it's... It pulls you into the movie. And you do not bump into those characters again for at least an hour and a half. And they're not primary characters, but their moment is so bombastic. That, like, you, you're... When you finally get back to them and you're in the diner, you, it you go immediately now. You you know what's about to happen, but now you know who's also in the diner with them, which makes it so cool. Right. Yep. It's it's a great moment. It's a great movie. Obviously, I think I don't really think that we're like reinventing the wheel when we say Pulp Fiction's a good movie. 
Yeah, yeah. I, for my final film, am going with one that I think it was unexpected, and that's what I love about it. It, honestly, it rebirthed a genre, which very few movies get a chance to do. Um, the year is 1996. All of the posters, all of the materials have an actress's face amongst them. Amongst all the other characters, all sort of second tier actors and actresses, those who are in it. Like, you know who they are, but do you know who they are? Um, there's one name that you do know who she is, and it's Drew Barrymore. And so, opening sequence, Drew Barrymore's at home making popcorn, she's gonna watch a scary movie, and she gets a phone call, and she starts having a conversation with the guy, and you're like, oh, okay, cool, she's gonna be the hero, and the villain's gonna be chasing after her through the whole, nope, she gets gutted. First ten minutes. Drew Barrymore, on the posters, gutted. It was such a brilliant idea. Um, and it wasn't their initial idea, from what I understand, but it was such a brilliant idea to have a top-tier actress, or at least the most top-tier in the show, in the movie, um, be part of the materials and then be gone in the first 10 minutes. So now you're really off kilter as to what and who you're watching. Um, I'm obviously talking about Scream. The rest of the characters in it, yeah, of course, we know them as actors and actresses now. Nev Campbell, Jamie Kennedy, um, Matthew Lillard. But at the time, like, Drew Barrymore was Drew Barrymore. She's still Drew Barrymore. That opening bit is so good. Uh, and it revitalized the entire horror genre. Without Scream, we never would have had the big teen bubblegum pop horror of the, the mid to late 90s, which some goodness came out of. Some horribleness came out of, but some goodness came out of. So, I love myself some Scream. And, and just to kind of reference and tangent onto something that uh, Jinx was asking about in chat. Oh, please. I would have liked if a TV series that I'm not putting on my list uh, did the same thing. Because originally they wanted to. And they ended up not doing that. Um, but that original pilot for Lost was supposed to have Michael Keaton in it. And Michael Keaton was the one who was supposed to get sucked into the engine and killed. Mm, right. uh, but he was the main draw because he was the name. So they were trying to do that scream thing where, like you said, Drew Barrymore was arguably the biggest name on that poster. Yeah. Um, and she gets gacked in the first ten minutes. Whedon apparently wanted to do that with Buffy as well, not with Sarah Michelle Gellar, just a character in Buffy. Wanted to have them in the credits and have, uh, have them in the first episode. So it's a, it's a tried and true desire that um, movie writers and creators want to do, play with the meta, and then I'm sure producers and moneymakers say, no, that's that, that, no. I'm surprised they let them get away with your Barrymore, honestly. Like, that's a bold move. It could really, like, review, I'm sure there's reviews out, reviewers who were like, oh my God, how dare they to us? Um, but at the other end of it, man 
pretty smart. But it puts you in the mindset that nobody in this fucking movie is safe. Yeah, 100%. Anybody and could go at any given time. Now, I will say that I recently, recently, a month ago, watched the James Gunn Suicide Squad movie. The the second one. Oh, I the watched second the, one. I, I watched the it. first one. The first one was not good. Um, <laughs> but I watched the oh. second one. Yes, I've seen that one. Yes. The second one has some fairly big name actors in the group that assaults the beach. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, they all die in the first four minutes. And you're like, yeah, what the, what the <laughs> fuck am I watching? <laughs> like, is this a four minute movie? What, what's, what's the rest of the, the, the 96 minutes or whatever it is that we're watching. Um, so it definitely does set the tone of, yeah, we paid this guy $11 million to be in our movie and we killed him in four minutes. How long do you think the guy you're rooting for is going to last? So good. Good stuff, good stuff. Which I believe brings you to your last TV DVD DVD. It is. So I have... So this show uh, ended up going off the rails. I'm not going to lie. It started out really good, but then it had the problem over seven seasons that we need to make the next season bigger and wackier and crazier than the previous season. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was... Very powerful. It was full of charismatic characters. And it was full of charismatic characters that had very deep conversations that talked very quickly to each other. Um, And that kind of stuck through the entirety of the series. But the opening scene, when Quinn Perkins is walking into a bar to have a blind date, and she meets Harrison Wright, and she realizes blind dates really aren't for me. I can't stay. And he starts talking about, well, what are you drinking? She goes, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not drinking. I can't stay. Uh, I, I don't do blind dates. Well, this isn't a blind date. What do you mean this isn't a blind date? This is a job interview. What do you mean this is a job interview? Well, you haven't asked me who I work for yet. Well, who do you work for? Olivia Pope. And it goes into the whole sequence of we are, we are not lawyers. We are gladiators in a suit. And that is what we do when we wake up every morning. We put on our armor and we go to work and we are gladiators. Do you want to be a gladiator? I want to be a gladiator in a suit. The whole opening conversation <laughs> for Scandal was absolutely amazing. Ah, okay. I've not seen it. So I was like, oh, so about? good. So good. I mean, it's it's uh, on a list of shows. There's What's the show that everybody's loving right now that... They're like, you really should watch. And I can't remember the name of it. But Scandal's on the list of, like, you haven't seen Scandal? Nope. I mean, it sounds like it's a fun show, but it does. It blows up. uh, It blows itself up. Just derails itself. Well, again, because we go from... We go from lawyer that fixes problems for the elite in Washington, D.C. to who fixes her problems to, you know, now we're getting into deep state level stuff to, what? Like, so many people switch sides. You know, they, they joke about, you know, the black hats and the white hats and everything, and then even the show references 
you know, we're, we're the white hats. We're the good guys. We're not the black hats. Right. Three quarters of the cast changes hat colors throughout the whole series like they're playing paranoia. It's like ridiculous how many times people go from good guy to bad guy to good guy to bad guy to good guy to bad guy in the same episode. Like, not even just the <laughs> same season. Um, it definitely goes off the rails, but it's still a very, very fun watch. It is seven seasons, but uh, if you get the opportunity, I would definitely go through and watch it because it was really well done. It similarly is on my list of shows, but that similarly lit that list is very long. Yeah. With things like The Expanse that I've started multiple times, I get deep into it. I'm enjoying the shit out of it. And then, oh, something shiny or like two bad days at work. And I've completely forgotten I've been watching it. Yep. Ah, oh, bless my ADD addled colander brain. Which brings me to my final episode of television, um, which as a note, I, I really fought with myself about putting Lost on here because what so that show I. is to us. I figured it was too. It was too obvious. But it's it's it is easily one of the most iconic opening and most expensive in TV uh, ever. Is it it's still so, like the most expensive pilot? It was at the time. I don't know whether it still is. Yeah, I know it, it was over ten million at the time. Yeah, I'm sure Disney's done something since then. Um, but should at least acknowledge it. Which brings me to Lat Mine, which is probably one of the other ones that you think of when you think of best TV openings because it throws you into the middle of crazy. Um, and it's like not just, oh my god, this is action packed crazy. No, there's a lot of weirdness going on. There's an RV. And there's a dude in his underpants, and he's got a gun, and there's two people in gas masks, and he's filming himself because he thinks he's going to die. And wait, isn't that the dude from Malcolm in the Middle? I'm, of course, talking about Breaking Bad, which I rewatched the opening sequence for this. And I'm going to tell you, just watching that three minutes made me go, I miss this fucking show. Because similarly, when that show went off the rails, and I think there's a couple moments where that show goes off the rails, it was still brilliant. And it was still great TV. And that opening sequence right at the start, before, obviously, he becomes Mr. White, um, is iconically good. And I forgot how weird it actually is. Like, I remembered him standing there in his, like, loose tidy whiteies. I totally didn't remember him all but naked uh, driving the RV with uh, Jesse with the gas mask and the passenger slumped over. Like, the whole bit's great. And it, it just, it doesn't hurl you into a world where you go, oh, I know what I'm getting. Nope. You are hurled into a world where you have absolutely no fucking clue what you're getting. Um, and... It, that's one of the reasons it goes down is probably one of the greatest television shows ever because it it starts you in in crazy land and it doesn't get better and everybody is an asshole oh yes like Not I remember I remember getting like halfway maybe three quarters of the way through the first episode uh, the first time I watched it and I got into it late it was it was already done and gone by the time I had gotten into it um, I remember posting on my Facebook page and I'm just like 
am I not supposed to like anybody in this show? Because, like, I literally fucking hate everybody. Yeah. And this character can get pushed down a flight of stairs, like, every time they're on my screen. And everybody responded with, but, oh, no, that's 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 normal. No, you're, do- yeah. you're doing it right. I was like, oh, oh, okay. The characters that are legitimately the most innocent are the most reprehensible. Yeah, yeah, Like, no, the ones 100%. you dislike the most. It's so well written in that regard that, like... There is absolutely no reason for you to not feel bad for Walter's wife and kid. Like, you legitimately should in some way sympathize, empathize, and, like, those poor people. And, nope. You don't, They're both just assholes in their own regard for some reason or another. She's she's shrewish, and, um, oh, what's his son's change his name to? I don't remember. But, like, you're like, oh, all right. You're weird. So, um, uh, as you had said, every Quentin Tarantino movie should be listed on there. I will throw yeah. in, as a very quick uh, honorable mention, uh, every James Bond movie. The sure. pre-title sequence in every one of them is stellar. And they always get better and better and better as we go. But, uh, as a quick kind of tangent to move away from the favorite opening scenes... Since we were talking about Lost and how much Lost cost, I have a list that was compiled in 2020 of the 10 most expensive TV pilot episodes ever made. Ooh, interesting. On top 10, where do you think Lost fell? Um, 2020, I'm going to say at this point it's probably number three. You would be incorrect. All right. It is number six. Wow. So there have been five since then that have trumped it? Uh, yes. Although some of them... Are older? Uh, that's what I'm taking a look at right now. Intriguing. Uh, If you have not caught on... Lost was when? Oh, Lost was 2000 and... I'll say six... 2004. Seven, maybe. Okay. Four. So, uh, the... The ones that came before it. Rome came in at nine million. Oh, yeah. Didn't even think great, of Rome. Great show. Great Fantastic. show. Fringe came in at ten million. Game of Thrones came in at ten million. The Crown came in at thirteen million. Mm-hmm. And then Lost comes in at fourteen million. It seems that all those are after. The Get Down was 16 million. If you've not seen The Get Down, so good. Boardwalk Empire was 18 million. Yeah. Terra Nova was 20 million. All right. Um, Have you ever heard of Terra Nova? I watched Terra Nova. Like, it was on Netflix, it only lasted for a season. Have, have you ever heard of Terra Nova? No. I'm, well, what's funny is, is it might, it's probably one of those shows where I, I might have even watched it. Because there was a period Earth, where I went through Earth everything. Has be, on we've, we've fucked Earth to the point where we can't stay here anymore. So we've created portals to send us back before we fucked things up. <laughs> so we can kind of change things. But the portals have gone awry, and now we're back in Land of the Lost Times. I, I, the show was called Terra Nova. 
at various times I have either called it Land of Lost or <laughs> or Terrible because it was absolutely fucking horrible. It had the son was the werewolf kid from uh, <laughs> a great from uh, what the fuck was that sh- the Netflix show? Uh, the, the Gates? No. Oh. We did an episode on it. I Hemlock know. Grove. Hemlock Grove. That's it. He was. Yeah, the, he was. The, the yeah. It was. Yeah. It was. It was not good. Uh, yeah, that comes in at number three at twenty million. Wow, they got they got a return on that, didn't they? Ooh, buddy. Westworld comes in at number two with twenty five million. Does not surprise. That show's mad expensive. And then another HBO drama spearheaded by executive producer Martin Scorsese and collaborated with Mick Jagger. Two-hour pilot episode of the show Vinyl cost $30 million. The I entire am... first season was $100 million. I have never heard of this show before. No. Uh, it was a 70s music industry drama that didn't even justify a second season renewal. That's really bad that two out of the top three like just didn't make the cut. Wait, but no, I'm looking. It's got a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it it had something going for it. Yeah. Maybe, but that might be after the fact. And that also could be. And maybe it was just a one season expectation. I don't know. That's weird, though. Um, hmm. I was actually expecting you to say Devil in the White City, which is Scorsese show that's coming. Um, because I won't, I expect that to be expensive too. But Westworld does not surprise. That show is very pretty and very expensive. So, all you folks out there, what was your favorite opening to a film, TV show, or other? Do you have something else that we're missing? Where can they tell us where we're wrong? You can head over to somethingcast.com, which is the repository for all things something. All the buttons and widgets and doodads on which you can find us on your favorite podcatchers. All of our social media stuff. Uh, Head over to somethingcast.com. You can find everything that you need to know about us right there. Except, you know, our internet history. Because that's... (laughs) Because you don't want to look at that. No. (sighs) I I didn't say suppository. No, I was correct. I thought it was very... Popped into my head. Oh. Because you always say repository. Okay. It's something suppository, really. Oh, my. We have a whole fun summer-filled month for you. So, don't go anywhere. Be back here in seven days. And we will have another wonderful episode of the Something Something Cast for you. Absolutely. With that said, I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob. We'll see you guys next time. Something, something, something. Okay, here we go.